I want to talk to you about a very quick one about this wonderful story of David and Goliath, Dawud alayhi salam and Jalut. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned the story in the Quran as well. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said uh, that Dawud alayhi salam uh, killed Goliath, killed uh, Jalut. What I want to say to you about this story is, uh, first of all, the story itself, very quick one, which is, there was this battle between the Philistines and the Bani Israel, the people of Israel, whose king at the time was a man by the name of Talut. And um, this was the king that they had made dua for and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave that kingship to this man who was a noted warrior, he was a very wise man and uh, lots of good things about him. So they came face to face with the Philistines and um, the, the way of um, medieval warfare and even before that was there were two things which happened in those wars. And it was part of, it was like a, uh, like an orchestrated drama, but there was obviously uh, a, a reason for that. The first thing that happened with these wars was that armies made, when they came face to face, not all the time, but when they came face to face, they made a lot of noise. The purpose of the noise was to intimidate the opposition and uh, the purpose of the whole thing was that if we can get them intimidated then uh, either they run away uh, or even if we have to fight then we are fighting people who are already afraid of us to begin with so there is this <coughs> additional advantage psychological advantage of uh, fighting a force a foe uh, which fears you so this is what they used to do uh, and they used to make a lot of noise so you had these big uh, drums and, and, and trumpets and, um, you know, bugles and all kinds of uh, basically noise-making instruments. Uh, it's sometimes called martial music, but there was very little music and that was more noise than anything else. And that was the purpose. Second thing they did was that before the actual battle was engaged in, before the, the, the two armies could meet, uh, they would stand apart with, uh, you know, space between them, usually no big area that would be the actual killing fields the, the battleground and then <clears throat> the armies would announce and they would send out their champions they would send out uh, famous warriors who were part of that army and usually these champions were people whose fame preceded them so the other army already knew that this particular fighter is fighting in that army i mean if you take it as I've always said that, you know, one of the uh, best innovations that can happen in modern life is to uh, substitute uh, wars with rugby, uh, which gives us the same thrill and uh, the matter can be settled on a playing field rather than on a killing field. And I think this would be one of the best things that you can do is say, uh, and take your pick for it, I mean, take rugby, take, uh, you know, football, American football, whatever you want, whatever you like, uh, but a physical confrontation uh, on a playing field rather than on a battlefield or a killing field. 
that would be one of the one, one of the most wonderful things but the reason i'm mentioning that is because today we know if you know uh people who are who follow you know rugby and football and so on the games uh, you know the names of the famous players in each team so when you find these two teams are now matched you say oh you know what there's this guy in that particular team in the in, in this one team who is absolutely fabulous he's the best footballer going uh the this other team doesn't have anyone to match that or you might say you know what there's this guy in this fee in this team who is fantastic but the other team also has this other person and so we are really going to look forward to this match where these two so it's not just the two team but these two champions are going to be are going to be uh pitted against each other and that should make for a very interesting match so this is uh, we even today we have this this uh, we, we think in this way so in the in medieval battles and and in earlier battles and so on what they would do was they would send out a champion from their side and uh, this champion would challenge them and they say okay who is ready to fight me and the other uh, army would send out their champion and then there would be this battle just between these two champions and there was a code of honor to say that nobody else could help them so if you find your champion is losing you couldn't for example you know throw a spear or something and kill the other one no you couldn't do that it was between these two and uh, whichever one obviously that would have a hugely intimidating effect on the opposite party and that was the that was the main reason one was to neutralize the best of their army in the first place so if i can kill the the the, the champion of the other army then that army is handicapped to that extent uh, you don't have that champion fighting uh, people who could not possibly defend themselves against him and uh, so instead of that they fight the champion of this army the champion of this army kills them and so that is neutralized also it has a huge intimidating effect on the other party to say oh my god our champion is dead uh, well none of us is as good as that uh, champion so what will be our fate if we actually fight against this army so this is uh, this was the psychological uh, reason and that was the sort of psychological battle uh, where you uh, win the war without fighting so to speak and that's exactly what happened when they were faced uh, the philistines sent out their champion whose name was uh, jalut or goliath um in in medieval battles also one of the uh big things was physical presence and physical size uh because you it's hand to hand fighting so two major factors one was your physical size and strength and the second one was your ability with your weapons and these the expertise with the weapons and usually each uh, these champions had their favorite weapon somebody with somebody it was a mace with somebody it was a spear with somebody it was uh, a sword uh, usually bows and arrows were not in the picture many of them didn't have them at that time and uh, it, that was not within courts also sporting you can't just shoot somebody and be done with it so that wasn't there so it was physical combat uh, necessarily contact person to person so obviously if there was somebody who was you know 10 feet tall and 8 feet wide and if his wrist was uh, bigger than my thigh then you know it was intimidating just to watch this look at this uh, huge enormous person who's built like a house and uh, to think that i've got to actually go fight this person that's why i mentioned rugby because many rugby players uh, tend to be like that there's massive huge people uh, just the thought of uh, crashing into one of them 
Um, and then, you know, the, the whole code of rugby is you don't go there wearing helmets and Kevlar and stuff. You go there, you, your body is your protection. So, it was the ability to take punishment and to give punishment. All of these things were, were uh, very important factors. So, now here was Goliath and Goliath was enormous. He was a huge man, very, very strong, very big. And uh, he was completely encased in armor and he had his sword, his big broad sword. Um, you know, and he came out there and he uh, calls out and the Philistines call out and say, well, who is the champion of the people of Israel? Who are the, who are the, the Muslims of the time, uh, the Bani Israel? Who are the, uh, who is the champion? Who is willing to fight our champion? So the uh, king of Bani Israel, the, the, the commanding general, Talut, uh, he asked, he announced in his army, he said, who is ready to go fight Goliath? And there is silence. There is absolute dead silence. Because people, I mean, who wants to go and die? It's simply like saying, who wants to go and die? Here's this Mack truck. Who wants to go stand in front of the Mack truck? You know, the only thing that's going to happen to you is you're going to get flattened, right? Uh, who wants to get flattened? So obviously, there was no enthusiasm in that. Now, in that process was this young boy called David, called Dawood. Later on, he became a Nabi. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made him a Nabi. And so, he's Dawood alayhi salam as far as we are concerned. Now, Dawood was one of three sons of um, one of the elders of Bani Israel. The two, his, two, his two brothers were soldiers in the army. Dawood himself salam, was not a soldier. He was, his father sent him, he said, go serve the, help the soldiers and help people in, the, in whichever way you can and report back to me about the, uh, about the happenings in the battle, but don't fight. So that he was, he was not a soldier. He, was, he hadn't been sent to fight. Uh, he's job, his normal work was, a, was that of a shepherd. Now, if you look at the shepherd, <coughs> if you look at uh, shepherds even today in Africa, in the Middle East and so on, uh, they have, there are two things that, uh, that uh, you know, identify shepherds. One is the staff, the shepherd's staff, and you see this in the, in the, in the case of Musa alayhi salam, he and his asa, his, his staff. So the staff is something that, you know, they, they rest on and Musa alayhi salam, this whole conversation in the Quran about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asking Musa alayhi salam, Oma tilka ya Musa, what is in your right hand? Oh Musa, and Musa alayhi salam then talks about his staff, this is my staff, this is what I do, I beat down the leaves of trees for my ghanam, for my, for my sheep and I take rest on this staff, uh, I lean on it when I am tired and it has... Uh, uh, you know, different other uh, uses and benefits. So this was one of the things that uh, that identified shepherds. The other one was the slingshot. Now the slingshot is not the, uh, those are my Urdu speaking and Hyderabadi and Indian friends, it's not the gulel. You know, the, we, we, we have this thing which is a white stick with a rubber band tied on it and you pull it and you, now that, that's a, a play thing. The slingshot of the shepherds of the Middle East as well as in other places and also in, in Africa, you can still see them, um, was a long uh, leather uh, thong, a leather uh, which was which had a, a cup in the middle. Now the cup was also made of leather. It's the same thing. Uh, it was flattened piece, uh, a broader piece in the middle, and then two leather strings or thongs. The whole thing was probably about uh, two meters or so in uh, length. So when it was folded, it was one meter. Now what the shepherds used to do was. They used this for all kinds of reasons. The main reason was to protect their sheep against uh, wolves and in some cases against uh, bigger predators. Now this uh, slingshot, what they would do was in the middle, in that uh, in that flat part, which was like a pouch, they would put 
um, in some cases they would uh, they would put stones uh, rounded stones which was you know so it flies better and is more accurate in some cases they would actually melt uh, leaden balls they would they would cast uh, balls of lead and they would use that which was again to give better accuracy uh, and to be more uh, and to be more lethal uh, interestingly the romans the roman legions used slingers as their first line of defense in battle so they would they they had they used to cast uh, uh, leaden balls and these slingers were the first line of battle and uh, the way the sling worked was that they put the the thing in the middle and then they fold it and then the two ends the shepherd would hold in his hand or the or the slinger and then he would swing it around his head and then he would release one of the strings so this thing would open up and that ball would travel now just to give you an idea of how accurate they were there are the slingers were known to be so accurate as to bring down birds in flight so you have a, a goose or a duck or a, or a pigeon flying and the slinger would sling uh, the shot and it would bring the bird down so that is how accurate they were they were very very accurate they could hit a uh, a flying bird uh, you know at a distance so uh, you know the accuracy was amazing and this was because I mean, they 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 did this the whole time they practiced because quite literally their life and their and the life lives of their livestock depended on their accuracy as far as shepherds were concerned because if they couldn't drive wolves and in some cases uh, lions and so on away uh, then they would be in danger and their livestock would be in danger so they used this uh, they 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 were very very good at it um the romans used that in the as the first uh, line of defense uh, where the slingshots uh, slingers would uh, fire their slingshots at the enemy they would drop a lot of them and then the second line of defense for, for of the romans was javelins which they each soldier carried uh, one of course but sometimes two and three uh, which they would throw and after that they would uh, the legions would meet the opposing forces uh, standing shoulder to shoulder with their shields locked uh, together and those shields were about six feet tall they, they were en- enormously uh, big shield which completely shielded the soldier and uh, they would lock the shields and then they would, the the operative weapon there was the gladius which was the short stabbing sword that was the um, the main weapon of the roman legionary so uh, here was daud alayhi salam he was david and david had this slingshot so now when this announcement is made who is ready to fight goliath uh, there is dead silence then nobody is coming forward forward and then david steps forward i want you to remember this because my purpose of this is not simply to tell you a story david what does he do he steps forward and he says i am ready to fight goliath now imagine the astonishment of the king the astonishment of other people the other uh, the other soldiers in the army uh, who is this boy what does he think he's doing i mean he's not even a soldier he's got no helmet he's not he's got no armor no weapon no sword no shield he's got nothing he's a shepherd boy i mean is he does he want to commit suicide or something i mean what's wrong with him is he depressed yeah give him prozac right i mean what what's the uh, what's the whole deal what's what's the deal here what's happening uh, on the side of the philistines i mean there is obviously there's first shock and then there is huge laughter and and mocking and saying what i mean this kid is going to fight goliath i mean are you mad are you insane and goliath said look i can't fight this kid tell him to go away. i mean i'm nonsense this is rubbish i want your champion this is not your champion who is this kid 
The king has no choice. Talut has no choice because nobody else is coming forward. So Talut says to the to to Goliath to to says says to uh, David says to Dawud uh, Salam. He says, "Take my." I want you to listen carefully and remember these things. So he says to him, uh, "Take my helmet, take my shield, take my armor, take my sword, uh, and fight." Now, what is David's? What is Dawud Salam's response? Dawud Salam's response is, "I don't want any of this." I make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah will help me. And I will fight with what I have. What does he have? He has a slingshot. So, let me complete the story, then we come to the lessons. So, what does he do? He goes out there with a slingshot. Goliath is having a big laugh. He says, what kind of a kid is this? Who is this kid? I mean, what nonsense is this? So, he says, okay, so you want, you want to die, please come. So, Goliath says, fine, you want to die, please come. You know, I am ready to oblige you. And then, as they say, the rest is history. Dawud al-Islam swings his slingshot and fires it and it hits Goliath straight between the eyes and that is the end of Goliath. Now, lessons. Now, usually this story is told in the context of the, uh, the, the, the uh, victory of the small one, the victory of the weak over the strong. The victory of the small one over the big one, the victory of the oppressed over the oppressor. But I want to tell you the story in a different way. Um, I want to tell you that, yes, the two adversaries in that situation, David and Goliath, Dawud salam and Jalut, yes, they were mismatched. Yes, they were not equal, but they were not equal, not in the way that you have been told the story. They were not equal actually in the opposite way. In that story, you know who was the strong one? Dawud Not Goliath. Goliath was the weak man. The difference is, Goliath did not know that he was the weak man. Now let me tell you something. Let me give you a little bit of, of, of science of this thing. That projectile from that sling, it was like a bullet out of a 38 or a 45. So imagine if I am facing Goliath and I am standing there and I have a, a 38 or a 45 in my hand. Smith and Wesson. Uh, I'm, in, I'm in the land of Smith and Wesson. Uh, it's, it's here in Springfield. Now what do people see? People see this. I don't know how many of you have seen uh, this movie uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. There is a scene where there is a swordsman who, and this guy is fly, the, the hero is uh, trying to, uh, you know, escape, and then suddenly he came, comes across, he comes out of a, of a lane, and there is a swordsman. He goes with the sword, uh, and the the, the the hero just he says, "Oh shit!" and he pulls out uh, his revolver, and he goes bang, that's the end of the end of the uh, end of the sword. So now, who is stronger in that situation, right? You think. Goliath, David Dawud is weak because you do not understand the power of a sling. For you, a sling is a game. A sling is not a game. A sling is a very lethal weapon. And in the hand of somebody who can bring down a flying bird, the accuracy is 100%. And a flying bird at, uh, at 100 paces, a flying bird at 50 paces versus Goliath, who is built like a house... What are we saying here? We're saying that his size 
has suddenly become the liability, not the strength. When you are built like a house, it's very difficult to miss you. And when you are faced with somebody who is very accurate, even if you were not built like a house, he still wouldn't have missed you. Even if you were like a bird, he would still have hit you. For him now, he can hit you with his eyes shut. He can hit you with lying on the ground sleeping. He can hit you in his dream. For him, it is, it's not even a challenge. It's nothing. And that projectile coming at you at close range, you're already a dead man. You just don't know it. Right? So now, what are the lessons? First lesson. You want something to happen, you have to step forward. If Dawud had not taken that first step to say, I am ready, nothing was going to happen. There was no story. The story begins when Dawud decides to take that first step forward. So in your life, you want something to happen, stand up and do it. At the time when you stand up and do it, the second lesson is, did Dawud know himself and know his strengths and know his, did he know his capabilities and competence? Yes. Third lesson. Now what happens? Now Talut, his king, is giving him what he thinks are assets. Does Dawud accept them? What do you think would have happened to Dawud if he had taken that helmet and if he had put on the king's armor and he had caught a, got a so a, a, a shield in his hand and if he had taken a sword and if he had gone to meet uh, Goliath uh, Jalud in hand-to-hand uh, -hand combat, believe me, this story would have had a very different ending. Dawud in five seconds flat would have been minus his head. Right? Because what is he doing now? He's taking, instead of capitalizing, instead of leveraging his core competence, instead of leveraging his strengths, he has taken on things which apparently are assets, but actually they are liabilities because you don't know what to do with them. You have no use for them. You have no expertise in that area. So you get into that, you are going to literally commit suicide. So first, first lesson. Step forward if you want something to happen. Second lesson, know yourself very well. Third thing, stick to your core competence. The, I'm, I'm not against learning new things. All I'm saying is the time to learn that new thing is not when you are in a facing a challenge. The time to learn that new thing is not when you are in a crisis. The time to learn that new thing is when you are free to learn that new thing. By all means, please go and do that. But not when you are in a... In, in, especially in a challenging situation, stick to your core competence. What do I know best? What can I do sleeping? What can I do in my sleep? Do that. Don't go into something else. So, Dawud salam, third lesson. First lesson, step forward. Second lesson, know yourself. Third lesson, stick to your core competence. And as they say, the rest is history. From the, from the side of Goliath, what were his mistakes? First and foremost mistake, arrogance. Goliath also knew himself. But his problem was he did not know his enemy. Whereas Dawud knew his enemy. He could see what Goliath was doing. Goliath's assets were visible and known. Dawud assets were invisible and unknown. So from Goliath's side, 
His first mistake was arrogance. His second mistake was he did not know his enemy. So if you are in that situation, knowing the opposition is extremely important. And believe me, I'm not talking in terms of wars. And so I'm saying in, in business, in your, in your life, in your work, knowing the opposition, knowing who you are arrayed against is extremely important if you want to win. If you do not understand the opposition, they will beat you because they will have things which they can do. And then when you are faced with it, when Goliath had the stone, hit his, hit his, hit his forehead, what's he going to do? He, just, he has to die. He, he died. So he did not know his uh, the arrogance and not knowing his uh, enemy. And these are the two things which... Uh, failed him and these are the things which helped Dawud so now decide for yourself who do you think was stronger who do you think was better prepared who, and obviously as they, as they say uh, history is history what we know happened happened uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned this story in the Quran as well so if you are strong uh, if you are small uh, if you are uh, apparently weak if you are uh, apparently uh, resourceless or have few resources, don't lose hope. Ask yourself, really, am I weak? Because you will not be weak. You will be strong. You are actually strong, but you don't really, you may not be able to, you may not realize it. So think about that. Look at your assets and say, how can I leverage these assets to help me? Being small, being um, having few resources, on the one hand, if you don't understand that, yes, it's a problem. But if you understand that, the small one is more agile. The small one can take decisions much faster. The small one is more confident because he's relying on himself. He's alone. So very, I, I, I spend a lot of time in the bush. I go, I, and in the days when I used to hunt, uh, I uh, used to go into the forest. I always like to go alone. Because I didn't want the responsibility of looking after somebody else who doesn't understand the forest, who's going to freak out, who's going to do something, maybe make a noise at the wrong time or whatnot. I am responsible for myself. I'm confident. I know what I can do, what I can't do. And therefore, that's what I did. And I'm sitting in front of you. So, uh, you know, I mean, obviously that was the right decision. I'm not sitting inside the stomach of a, of a lion or a tiger. So the point is that it's very important to understand yourself. This is the whole secret of entrepreneurship. And that's why I said, let me share this with you. Being an entrepreneur, um, for me, I have been an entrepreneur from 1994, full-time entrepreneur from 1994 onwards, part-time from 1983 onwards. And from 94 onwards, I have done two things. One is I work from home always. So people today say, oh, but you know, in, in, in COVID work, I've been working from home from 1994 onwards. And I never regretted a day of that. It, you have to be disciplined. You have to, the, the beauty is you are responsible for yourself. Uh, there's nobody to blame. So you learn to be confident. You learn to learn lessons. You learn to own up your mistakes. You learn to improve on yourself. And this is a constant journey throughout your life. Today I'm 65 years old and I continue to do that by myself. I do my work and therefore I'm more agile. I'm able to take my own decisions. I don't have anybody to blame. I don't have anyone to ask. And I love that situation. To be independent and to be confident and not to have to report to anyone other than myself. And you know what the beauty of that? Because I know I can't fool myself. I don't even try. And I am not reporting to somebody. So somebody else saying, oh, this is fantastic, doesn't faze me because I know whether it's fantastic or not. And I am not looking for praise from anybody. And I, am not, I have no one to blame me either. I do my annual appraisal. 
I, I take the numbers. What did I do? What did I achieve this year? I have that. I look at it and I say, is this good? Is it not good? What do I want to do for the next year? So this whole uh, idea of the, uh, David and Goliath, Dawud salam and Jalut, I thought let me share with you from the perspective of entrepreneurship, from the perspective of leadership. I wish you all the very best. Uh, I may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep you protected and keep you safe and use this current uh, challenge that we have of COVID and all that comes with it as a booster and as a uh, as the impetus for a much better and more beautiful world going forward. And as I told you in the beginning, think about that and, and uh, think about substituting wars with football. Thank you very much. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.